0: I will say that what Jancy told you was true. I honestly think I did a really nice job as a counselor that summer, but that was not a special bunk because of the job that I did as a counselor. That was a special bunk because of the kids in it and the way your relationship's established. And the most credit I get is for not fucking it up.
1: This is the Summer Camp Chronicles, a podcast where one camp old-timer, one young camp professional, and some very special guests share their revealing camp stories and explore what makes summer camp uniquely special to so many people. Hey
2: guys, this is Ben. Hey, and this is Eric. Thanks for tuning in again to the Summer Camp Chronicles. Uh, It was an exciting first episode we recorded not too long ago, Eric.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And we got to talk about who we are a little bit and what to expect from this first season of the Summer Camp Chronicles. In particular, this first season is going to be a lot about my early camp experiences, that book that I never really did write. And uh, we think it's really going to resonate with lots of people. We're lucky enough that we're still in the camp world, but we know that most people aren't. And I think my experiences are going to be very familiar to lots of folks. So we're going to jump right into it. So we begin, Ben, in 1986, and uh, that's not when my overnight camp career began. That was 1983. But 83, 84, 85, I went to a camp um, with people from my hometown and with my cousin. So for me, that doesn't really count. And I don't know if you feel this way, but like there's some there's some weird thing about camp that you know if it's too familiar, if it's too much like home, if you go with a bunch of people you already know, it it's fun and it's you know mm-hmm. it's it's a nice time. But I think part of what we've both experienced as, as the kind of like the magic of camping is, is really going outside your comfort zone, going somewhere yeah. new, and yeah. that was the case for me. So 83, 84, I went to a camp. It's an all boys camp, lots of sports, um, and I barely remember it, so we're gonna skip right over that. <laughs> but uh, in the winter of 85, going into 86, my parents um, told me we were gonna switch camps. Mm. And I had no idea why, yep. you know, because like when you're 11, there's nothing wrong. Like I I didn't dislike the camp I was at. And right. I, you know, I think it's like moving, right? No kid wants to be told like, you know, you're going to leave all your friends and we're going to move to a new community. So did you
2: indicate to them you wanted to move or they?
1: No, no, I was pissed. I was like, what do you mean we're picking a new <laughs> camp? Like I love my camp. Um, and I talk now about the, you know, the fact that I thought that camp was the best because yeah. it was all I knew, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit like, you know, when you fall in love for the first time. And you think, like, this is it. This yeah. is love. You
2: can't imagine anyone else is better than yeah. that person. Yeah.
1: And then you fall in love the second time. And you're like,
2: oh, fuck. I thought that <laughs> yes. was love. That, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. th- that wasn't anything. This no. is
1: love. And then the third time, you're like, I can't believe I thought yeah, that was no. love. Yeah. yeah. So, same kind of thing. So, I had a good camp experience, but my parents knew better. Um, and they said, oh, we're going to a different camp. And uh, this is way before your time, but in, in 85, 86, the way that happened was the camp directors of this new camp that I was looking at. Came to my house with a um, with a slide projector what? and a carousel of <laughs> physical slides. slides that that slotted into each little and then you know, the a yeah. little clicker that went, Yeah, the thing rotated around and the pictures went up on the on the dining hall wall, dining room wall in black in and my white. House, no, they're color. No color, <laughs> yeah, they color. Pictures. I'm not that old. And um, and so they showed me this camp. And it was called Walt Whitman, but it wasn't a poetry camp. It was just a camp named after a poet. And um, and so this is where my story begins, the, the the heart of my story. So very nervous, like not excited at all about trying something new. It was uh, in northern New Hampshire. I was from New York. It was far away, and I knew absolutely nobody. And so I, you know, fast forward now, I remember in June going to the bus pickup, uh, mm-hmm. like the spot where they take the kids from, you know, your like your local community and, and up to camp. So it's like a six-hour bus drive yeah. from New York. Um, and I showed up at the parking lot and I was, I was a nerd. I was like a pretty shy kid anyway. And so I, I felt like I had a stomach ache and I was kind of sweaty and I was very uncertain about this, this going away for eight weeks somewhere new. And, um, what I remember most about that morning was that there was this kid at the bus stop who was my age, looked a lot like me, but much stronger. And, um, he and my, he and I met, like, he was the first person I met. Like, I got out of the car, he got in his car, there he was. Yep. Um, and he was everything I wasn't. He was totally outgoing and goofy and obnoxious and talkative. And um, most of all, I think, like, clearly very comfortable in his skin in this... Also his first summer? No. Okay. So he was... Um, a third generation camper oh, at this wow. camp. Yeah. His grandmother worked in the camp office in nineteen forty eight. Yeah. Which was the year the camp was founded. Wow. So that's what I mean. Like he was just like he was it was like his fifth summer already. Right? We were twelve. Mm-hmm. Um and he had been a camp, you know, since he was like seven. And so um his name was John. And he was just like, whoa, like talking at me and like all over, like physically touching me. And like, I just wanted him to go away. Yeah. And then I remember on the bus ride up for the entire five hours or six hours, um, ostensibly we were sitting next to each other, but he wasn't sitting. He was just he was just up and, and like moving around all the time mm-hmm. in my space, like burping at me and like, you know, sitting on the, like the handle, yeah, of the, yeah, the armrest yeah. of the seat as opposed to in the seat. And I was just looking out the window, like, Get me out of here. I want to go home. I, I, this is a big mistake. And John is just like, you know, all over the place. Yeah. So uh, we get to camp and we get uh, out of the bus and we get taken to our cabin. And John is not only in my cabin, he has the bed on top of me. Oh, my goodness. So the bunk, the bunk beds, bunk. right? <laughs> yeah, bunk beds. I'm the bottom bunk. He's the top bunk. Yeah. The only person that I know and the only person that I absolutely detest at this camp is sleeping three feet from yep. me directly above me right <laughs> first night of camp i'm trying not to let everyone see that i'm crying yep. and i'm sad and i'm homesick and john is literally um like using up an, a whoopee cushion like like until four in the morning it seemed like just making farting noises yep. uh and my parents have this letter i wrote a letter home on that first night the, uh, the next day right you know, it said all the things you'd expect it to say, like, I don't want to be here. Big mistake. You got to take me home. But mostly it was about this kid named John, mm-hmm. who I hated. Yep. And I just wanted them to know that I was not only miserable, but I was especially miserable because this kid slept on top of me and he was terrible. So not long thereafter, I wrote another letter home mm-hmm. and I said I, have, I made a new best friend and his name is John. No way. Yeah. And it's the same. And by the way, it's the same person. <laughs> Obviously, it's the same person. Um, so, you know, something... Remarkable happened in a really short period of time. Um, and I went from really not liking him, not liking camp to a total transformation. Was that a quick turnaround? It was. Yeah. It was quick and there and there was something there was something really magical about that summer and about that bunk. And even the camp director who you know really shouldn't say this kind of thing out loud, mm-hmm. um, who you know has seen a, you know generations of kids go through camp. Even she said there was something special about Bunky in 1986. Yeah. Sometimes you just get groups of kids yeah. who come through and they just connect. Connect. Yeah. And you know the counselors are right and the kids are right and, um, and I just happened to land at this camp in one of those bunks at that moment. So John is like no one I've ever met. He, he's um, I got to tell you a little bit more about him. First of all, he spoke incredibly quickly, and he did it in a Southern accent. because uh he was from virginia like rural virginia and that's pretty unusual i mean everyone at that camp was from the northeast or from from montreal or whatever so um it was like a combination of the speed with which he spoke and this accent (laughs) which to me was completely foreign Foreign. yeah uh and as a new yorker like i i have to admit i didn't really associate that accent with like you know highly sophisticated intellectual people which is totally unfair um but in this case, it was a perfect match because, <laughs> um, so like, you know, I remember he, he would talk about where he was from. And he was from someplace called the Shenandoah Valley, yeah, uh, which is really nice, apparently. But he would just call it the Shenandoah. So, like, I didn't understand for the first two years I knew, him, like, where this kid was actually from. He's just like, oh, from Shendova, nice in the fall. <laughs> and he was trying to say it was nicest in the fall. I'm like, so he just was like, you know, like comically um, sort of quick in his speech. Yeah. And, um, like I said on the bus, I mean, he just had no regard for physical boundaries yeah for like other people's physical space so you know like i walked off that bus that day and i had cheese doodle you know residue like all over me because he was just like he's just like in your space all the time um but you know i think most of the way i would describe him was the dumbest smart person i knew (laughs) or the smart i don't know which or the smartest dumb person yeah yeah, and whichever way it is like yeah like he actually legitimately is brilliant um and he went on to go to one of the you know, one of the colleges, one of the greatest colleges in the country and do like top secret computer science work for the That's government. So like cool. he's clearly got, you know, yeah. he's got it all together intellectually. Um, but, you know, especially as a kid, it just it came across in a package of like complete someone who's completely lacking in in anything but book, book smarts. Yeah. Right. Zero common sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No common sense. Um, so like he would misuse vocabulary and, and just like mangle words and, and mispronounce them like like on a daily basis it yeah. was like part of like the shtick that we we thought he was hilarious yeah even though we knew he was smart he was just like an idiot you yeah. know <laughs> um and and he kind of like you said he lacked common sense so he would do these crazy things that were like insensitive and dangerous um and you, and you just couldn't be mad at him because afterwards he would just look at you with like this goofy apologetic grin and it just like that was the, the nature of our relationship yeah Um, like I remember he took my cleats. I mean, you know, when you play soccer and you tie your cleats together by the laces. Yeah. Yeah. So we're standing outside the bunk and he's, he's throwing them up like into a tree for like 15 minutes. No, no. Like, like, like that's the thing. Like John, there was no reason. It was just like impulse. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, again, like why I didn't stop him, I, I can't begin to tell you, but like I was amused by this. So like, he's throwing it up and it's coming down. He's throwing it up. It's coming down. 15 minutes later, he, gets it yeah he throws it up into the tree and now it's my cleats stuck. are stuck at the top of a tree in in like rural new hampshire and then he had like the audacity to be innocently shocked when it happened you know like the look <laughs> on his face like oh my god your cleats are in the yeah. tree i'm like you were throwing them up there yeah. like as you know you're trying as hard as you could <laughs> get but again like i couldn't be mad he just was like he was just so sorry all the time yep. um i mean years later we went to quebec city together and you know we bought fireworks and did stuff that kids did when they went to another country and <laughs> like he nearly took my eye out with a firework yeah. and like same thing and um, I remember we would um, we'd go to this overnight camping site uh, where there was a river and we got to play in the river and stuff and we were totally into building a dam do you ever do that? no like you try to divert oh, right, divert the river like yeah, from yeah, its normal cool. course and you're like oh we're gonna put, like put you know so we spent hours and yeah. hours and hours collecting boulders and rocks and stuff yeah. and John was like this really strong kid he was a wrestler and he loved finding a boulder that only he could carry. Yeah. Uh, but every single time he would inevitably like drop it a half an inch from my toe. <laughs> and you know, and I was just like afraid for my life. Um and he just was like totally oblivious to that kind yeah. of thing, you know? Uh, we used to walk up the road to camp from our cabin up to the the sports fields or the tennis courts or whatever. And one of the things he liked to do is he would take little rocks and pebbles off the road and hit them with his tennis racket. Like as hard as you yeah, could into the yeah, woods.
2: Yeah. Definitely did that before.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really fun. Yeah. like that ding they sound, right? Too. Right, they fly. But what happens when they hit a tree nearby? They fly back in your yeah. direction, right? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, walking up the road like like in asteroids. You know, these these rocks are like flying past my head, and John's is like, eh. so. um Anyway, so that that was sort of a part of who he was, and you know, he was he was democratic in the carelessness. So it wasn't like he was picking on me. He he was as he had he had as little regard for his own safety as anyone else's. Yeah. So like if we played sports against other cabins, you know, he was the one that was like not particularly coordinated, but just throwing himself yeah. all over the court or running into the goalposts first. And, you know, it was just like, he was just all in for anything yeah. all the time. Um, the other thing about John is he was naked like a lot, <laughs> like, a, like an odd amount of time. So like I have all these photos of growing up, you know, in cabins with him and working with him and stuff. And he's got no clothes on in like half of them. Uh, like you know if he w- and it's like again it's impulsiveness if he was in the shower and wanted to tell you something
2: he'd just woke up. yeah he'd
1: be like oh, oh I got I got to tell you something and he would just like go find you wherever you were and he like "John put some clothes on" you know and he's like go "no, no, no it's all right there." yeah like he just didn't he wasn't uncomfortable with it it wasn't inappropriate like yeah. it wasn't sexualized but he had no concept that that might make other people feel uncomfortable yeah right yeah um and uh oh god i remember it. so we, the, after that first time we wrote letters to each other yeah. a lot um, which is unusual for twelve-year-old boys yeah. to write, you know, back and forth and these long letters, and and we were like really, um, you know, really enjoying this friendship. And so, I wrote him a letter, and he, I guess, down in Virginia, he slept in a bunk bed. So he he, I later, you know, I found out the next summer, he's like, Eric, you're not gonna be what happened. I was reaching for your letter, and I fell off my bunk bed, and I hit my ass on like the corner of my dresser, <laughs> and I go to the hospital, and I got stitches, and guess what? The stitches are in the shape of a J for John. <laughs> so he was like super proud of the scar he had on his ass, which he showed everybody all the time. And I remember once we were like standing at the, um, like the the camp rec hall, basically, yeah. where the entire camp gathers mm-hmm. on a regular basis, right? And he decided he was going to show his scar to oh, the my, to the our friends yeah. who were the girls of uh, a year younger than us. So he just drops his pants and That's shows hilarious. them his ass. And the camp director Jancy was walking by at that moment, <laughs> so he he moon the camp director. Um so anyway you know lots and lots of things about John I think were just really unusual uh but you know the, what ties them together for me despite the sort of, sort of carelessness and the lack of consideration and the goofiness and you know the crazy speech that was hard to understand like I think underneath it all was this really steadfast loyalty yeah and a total conviction yeah for whatever he thought he wanted to do at the moment or whatever was right at that moment um, it was like, you know, he led with his heart and there was no consideration for personal sacrifice. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I, we talked to someone else about John who knew him later in life. Mm-hmm. After I finished up my Walt Whitman career, I, uh, I went to camp full time. Yeah. And I got, a for, I got a job at camp, working year rounds as an assistant director at a totally different unaffiliated camp that was on Cape Cod. Um, and when I got there, I met this woman named Cassie and she had worked at that camp for a few years and she went to Amherst College and brought a friend to camp with her one year, and it turns out that friend was John. No We kind of, like, made this... Yeah, it was like... We had lost us with John a little bit. I didn't realize he'd ever worked at this camp. Yeah. So she brought him to Wingate Kirkland, um, and she has a story about John that I think uh, will set some more light on his character.
2: A quick thing to note is there's two Johns in this story, uh, but the John that we have been talking about, Cassie refers to as Clean, because that is his rugby nickname from college. So let's have a listen.
3: So in 94, um, Clean came to camp with us, and and I ended up becoming his co-counselor in the second oldest bunk. Our second oldest and oldest bunks were co-ed by bunk, and they were separated by like a common room, and the girls slept on one side, and the boys slept on the other, and then, as I said, there was a common room in the middle. But we had very little hot water in Lodge One, and about 20 to 25 people needed this hot water and the routine was you would call first shower right like the the culture at our camp was you said okay i got first shower i got second shower third shower and every day john would call first shower to get the hot water and clean would keep his mouth shut he's like okay you can have first shower no problem and the shower that they used was like a you know one person cube of a shower and every day. John would jump in the shower and he'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I'm in the shower, great." And within minutes or seconds even, Clean would jump in right after him. <laughs> and then John and you'd hear this in the bunk and John would start screaming, "Clean, get out of the shower. It is my shower. Get out of the shower. Stop. Go. Go away. Go away." And John would say and Clean and Clean would say, John, if you're uncomfortable with this, that's fine, but you can leave. But like I just think it makes more sense. We're conserving water to, and he'd be very rational <laughs> and very sincere. And inevitably, John would jump out of the shower and come back a few minutes later for a cold shower. Every single it felt hilarious. like every single day at camp. Absolutely. And that was clean to a T.
1: Totally, and totally consistent with with his entire history of nakedness and showering, <laughs> yes. and, and comfort, what and yeah, yeah. extreme
3: yeah. comfort in his own skin and his with his body. And I mean, again, that was something. That, you know, I talked about clean is is all heart, and he's honest, and he's sincere, and he lives life with this joy, almost like a almost like an innocence. But but he's but he's very intelligent and hyper aware and. Yeah, and again, he was like that when we were in our twenties, you know.
1: That's cool, right? All right, so can you tell? Can you tell us about um, what happened later that summer with uh, the bus?
3: Oh yeah, okay. So in our bunk that summer, we had two boys, um, African American boys, both from the New York City area, and so, at some point, and these kids. So I think they were the only two African American kids at camp that summer. But at some point, one of the the two boys lost his father his father passed away during the summer at camp we got a phone call or you know the camp got a phone call notifying them of this and I was told that I was to um help this kid pack up his stuff and then take him to the bus in Hyannis for him to take a bus home to New York and be with his family and I again we had the second oldest bunk so our kids were 14 right? I mean, probably 14 years old. Um, and the idea was that we were going to put him on a bus by himself. And I found clean at the waterfront to tell him and clean was in the water. He was swimming at the waterfront. And I said, I need to talk to you. This is what's going on. And this is what the plan is that I'm going to take this kid to the bus and drop him off for the two o'clock bus or something. And he goes, what? That's ridiculous. He's going to go by himself. I said, yeah, I guess that's the plan. He said, that's crazy. So I'm coming. So given the time, I don't, I don't know if it was time or if it was John being John, but literally John had nothing on but a bathing suit. He had no t-shirt. His towel was the size of like a dish towel. He didn't have a proper towel. He had no, no shoes on. And he and I go walking. We go to my car where we meet this kid who's got his stuff packed and clean gets in. And he's like, I'm going with you. I said, fine. You know, come on you know, it's no big deal. We'll drive. And so we're sitting there and John and this child are in the back of this car and we're talking and obviously the, the kid is crying and, um, but he's trying to hold it together. And we get to the bus station and John's like, I'm going, I'm going, that's it. I'm going. And he gets on the bus. I said, you're, you're literally wearing nothing. You have no wallet. You have no shoes. You have nothing. So he goes, we can't send this kid home alone. Like that's, we can't do it. And he was right right? He was absolutely right. So I gave him my shoes and I remember that they were an orange pair of Converse, but I don't remember if that's true. I just remember these giving him my orange Converse. He had a Navy blue bathing suit on that was soaking wet. His dish towel over like his shoulders, which he had to hold on to, to hold, to keep on his shoulders. <laughs> and I think I gave him all the cash in my wallet, which was like 20 bucks. Yeah. And off he went. Like I bought him the bus ticket and off he went. He jumped on the bus and I go back to camp. And, and I go, yeah, so the kid got off, okay, no problem, and clean's with him. <laughs> I remember Joel's face. Joel, the director, going, what? What do you mean clean's with him? I go, clean wouldn't let him go alone, so he got on the bus. And, I, and Joel said, what would you? And he said something like, well, can you believe that? You know, and I think in that second, I'd like to think that in that second, Joel was impressed. But then I think Joel was a little frustrated. But, um, right. But I think, but that was again classic clean. Like that was him, right? I mean, he. This is this is what's right. This is not okay. I'm gonna do what's right. And if that means I'm traveling to New York for a night in a bathing suit and a dish towel, then so be it.
1: I absolutely love hearing Cassie talk about John because she met him essentially as an adult, right? I mean, you know, she met him in college, so the summer she just described was after his junior year of college, and so much of what she said resonated entirely with the John that I knew, and that I met as a 12-year-old in 1986. And what happened for me in that summer was something that, in retrospect, I think is really unique to camp, and that is the, the emotional connection that I felt with him and with my other bunk mates was like nothing else i had had in my life. And I grew up, you know, on teams, playing soccer. Like Mm -hmm. I had a lot of close friends, what I considered to be close friends, but at camp it meant something totally different. You know, John and I, even as 12 year olds in that first eight weeks of our relationship had some kind of like intense emotional. And again, like as an adult looking back on it, I think it was a really, Affectionate mm-hmm. and um, intimate relationship. Yeah. It wasn't physically intimate. No, but emotionally. That, yeah. I mean, he was yeah. a wrestler, so he used to kick the shit <laughs> out of me. Like, so actually, there was a lot of physicality yeah. to it, which I think maybe in a strange way, part of this. Um, he would just like wrestle me yeah. constantly and, you know, yeah. and pin me down and um, spit in my mouth and stuff, which is gross. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you ever do that? Never. No. That's an old camp. I mean I
2: have got two brothers and I still wouldn't. That's <laughs> an old camp thing. You pin
1: the other person down and then you you like let a really long stringy spit oh, hang out of no your mouth. Way. And you the idea is to then suck, suck it back, it back up, up right before it falls <laughs> in their mouth. But that's like 50/50. That's horrendous. Like sometimes you'd get it back, sometimes it would just drop in their face oh. or in their mouth. Yeah. Um so we did that a lot. So maybe it was pretty intimate.
2: That, I mean that sounds extremely intimate. Yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. It's it's somewhat unconditional. Like I've got two brothers who i unconditionally unconditionally love but the, some of the mates that i've made from camp it's the same and i can't describe what it is or why
1: yeah yeah I, what i all i know is that at the end of that eight weeks we had a final campfire you know we sang our songs whatever i was an absolute wreck yeah, yeah. i don't think i've cried like that since yeah and i don't remember crying like that before i mean you know as a little kid you cry when yeah, you like course. you you know, yeah. hurt yourself. But there was this like overwhelming sense of loss. Yeah. And, and like, I just didn't know what to do with the emotions. Yeah. It was, it was, it was way too much for me. Yeah. I just did not want to go. Yeah. And it was like something about that dynamic, something about being a camp, being away from my parents, being somewhere new mm-hmm. where I, where I developed these friendships from scratch. Yeah. And where no one knew who I was and what my personality and what my, um, you know, my weaknesses and, and, you know, my whole like sort of home persona yeah. was left, at um, you know, at the bus stop. Yeah. And then I went to camp and I was like John's best friend. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he was this old time sort of cool kid. Yeah. And like, I felt lucky that he, you know, sort of picked Took you me in. and, yeah. and you know, like, it was just, it was just different. At least I felt like it was a different kind of summer for me in my life. And uh, we want to know what other people thought about that summer too. So we actually spoke to one of my counselors from that summer. His name is Sam. I met him at camp in '86. He was my counselor that year and the following year, and we've stayed in touch ever since. All right, let's talk about 1986 because I think it's That's fascinating unpacking. that I feel like it was a magical summer. Uh, that Jancy, at some point, said, "You know, that was a really that was a really magical group." As you know, as sort of an outsider observing this phenomenon, and you, as the the self proclaimed leader of of the of the group, um, had had that experience both personally and as a counselor for us in that summer.
0: I will say that what Jancy told you was true. You like, I I honestly think I did a really nice job as a counselor that summer, but that was not a special bunk because of the job that I did as counselor. That was a special bunk because of the kids in it and the way your relationships established. And the most credit I get is for not fucking it up. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, so yes, I do think I did a nice job as a counselor that summer, but I didn't take this horrible group of kids and mold them into something. I had this amazing group of kids that became a really cohesive unit. Um, Eric, let me ask you, what are some of the things you remember from that summer that you guys were able to do?
1: There's something unique about the physical space. And, and it's interesting because I think in that cabin, it could easily have worked in the opposite way. Like we, mm-hmm. it was two distinct rooms. Like it clearly had been two small cabins once. Yep. And then they connected them with the entranceway and a bathroom, essentially. That is so exactly there were six kids on one side with two counselors. And
0: this was the first, by the way, this was, it was a new cabin that year. That was the first year that they had
1: done that. Okay. Yeah. So like it was divided into six and six, which you would think would cause like a rift and, and a sense of like, you know, our group and yours. And somehow it, it was like the opposite. I, I don't really know why. I mean, I was definitely more friendly with the kids on my side of the cabin, but, um, I remember our sock wars. Do you remember this? I do. We would, we would ball up all of our socks and, and this is like the eighties. So the socks were really long, <laughs> but There was a lot of material there. You know, all of the, the striped socks that we go out so for our Socks
0: for long and the shorts were short.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, and, um, after bedtime, there were there wasn't a counselor in every cabin. There was like an OD, so one counselor was responsible for like three or four cabins. So they weren't really there, yeah. and we could just do whatever we wanted. You know, as long as we weren't too loud and we weren't disturbing other bunks, like they kind of left you alone. Uh, and so we would ball up all of our socks and then have an agreed upon sock war where we would just attack the other side of the cabin by pelting each other with with rolled up sock um, pairs. And I remember that. I remember it rained a ton. It was the summer of rain. Yes. Uh, John and I played Rummy 50,000 Yep. (laughs) um, and um, I just remember mostly how I felt at the end just like my heart was being ripped out you know that it was over
2: so what
1: came next next came senior camp and in our next episode we will talk about 1987 1988 and the third musketeer I want to The Summer Camp Chronicles is hosted by me, Eric Sassone, and by Ben Jerez. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. That will all help us share The Summer Camp Chronicles with more camp lovers like you. Follow us on Instagram at Summer Camp Chronicles or email us at SummerCampChronicles at gmail.com. Send us any comments, feedback, or parts of your camp story that you want to share with us. Oh, and also... Jake Gyllenhaal wrote me a really nice bus note that summer, but he forgot to put his phone number on it. So if you know how to reach him, I know he's dying to hear from me. Our opening music is Going Away, and our closing song is Linger. Both songs are performed by Lisa Loeb, who was a huge fan of camp and generously allowed us to use her music in this podcast. These songs and a bunch of other great camp songs appear on her album Camp Lisa. Proceeds from that album help send underprivileged kids to camp, so we hope you'll check it out.
3: A little longer here with you
2: Mm. I wanna linger A little
1: longer A little longer here with you Mm. And as the years go by I'll think of you inside This is goodnight and not goodbye